to the Sojourn Church podcast. We are glad you are here, and thanks for listening. As a church, we exist to exalt and enjoy the supremacy of Jesus Christ in all things, equip the saints, and extend the gospel to all people by reproducing disciples and churches for the glory of God. More information about the life and mission of Sojourn Church can be found at SojournTulsa.org. That's S-O-J-O-U-R-N Tulsa.org. This time of year, I don't know what you, your family does for um, uh, the Christmas season, and, and it's fun to kind of think through and talk about, like, what did you do when you were little? Um, so... Uh, for, for whatever reason, I guess just having the boys and everything, um, I love um, some time. If I get like an hour that I can just set aside, I'll sit there and look at my phone. Or if on the TV, you can pull up the, it never works when I want it to. I don't know if yours is that way. Like it, it'll just pop pictures up and I'm like, where's this coming from? And then when I try to do it and shoot it to the TV, it just doesn't work correctly. But sometimes it works and you get to look uh, back at just um, when maybe uh, you were at different places or kids were little or different things that were going on in life and, and you just begin to remember. And so I, I find myself sometimes just very quickly, just like Clark Griswold in uh, you know, Christmas Vacation, where he's up in the attic sitting up there watching and he's misty eyed and crying, looking at old pictures. And, and then she you know, pulls the cord and he collapses on. And so uh, many times in, in this season, I'll, I'll sit there and look back at the different things that the boys that we did for Christmas. And when we take time to look back like that, it, it brings um, enjoyment. Those, the stories that you see, it springs forth um, all kinds of different um, thoughts, just simply viewing the past. More importantly, the, the warmth and the appreciation, um, the, the things that, that, that God brings to your attention. Um, love fills the heart. It's taking time to appreciate as you look back at those things. Even if it's, even if it's yeah, parents that have passed away, um, both my parents being gone now, um, just, just taking the time to think back and appreciate. If, it, if it's uh, family members, grandmas, grandpas, and to, to remember other times. Um, now, in doing that, though, it, we, we learn to remember and to look back and to appreciate and to have our hearts filled with love and, and joy in that. But also, it, it can sometimes bring us to this place where we're like, man, we're, we're kind of in a rough position now, or, or things aren't as easy as it was. Or maybe sometimes the, the biggest thing for a lot of us is that um, when you get, get to a place where you think, man, this isn't exactly how I thought life was going to be at this point. And not that it's just horrible, but it's not the same. But, but this is where God uses hope. He brings hope in to say, it's not always going to be this way. Um, so um, in this season that we, like I said, with our own country struggling in so many areas, such a polarized nation in, in a thousand different ways, um, our government just having a hard time functioning um, our, in, in all kinds of different ways. And then um, across the, the globe, it's, it's easy for us to get complaining about where our country's at and inflation, the cost of living and all these things, and then to look and see you know, moms and dads having their kids ripped away, um, losing loved ones in, in wars going on. That's just crazy right now. And so um, hope is that reality that the best life is not now. The best life is coming, and the best life is coming with Christ in his second advent. <clears throat> so we celebrate what he did in his first advent, but hope is, is, is putting our ideas in that our best life is actually to come. Heaven is not going to be just a little bit better. It's not going to be like a good Saturday afternoon with you know 75 degrees and the sun shining, and, and it's, it's not just going to be just a little bit better. It's going to be beyond what we can imagine. And so that's a beautiful thing for us to um, lift our hearts in our eyes too. Hope brings 
the idea of anticipation, of potential security. If you've been in places where you're down, things are not going well, um, there's this idea hope says it's not always going to be this way. Um, in a low place, you may find yourself in a low place where you experience the need for hope. This is where we lift our eyes, we lift our gaze. Um, he lifts our heart to a potential new day better than the current situation. So followers, followers of Christ um, in a war zone, those, those areas that are being hit by war, hope says no matter what, it's not always going to be this way. Um, followers of Christ who lose a family member, hope says this is not their end. And so that, when, when my dad passed away, I remember those first few moments, my, Jamie and I were at my mom's house down in my old bedroom and we heard a scream. It was you know 2.30 or 3 in the morning and we, ran, we knew it was coming. He was on you know, hospice and on uh, morphine and all those things. And it, he, the last couple of days, uh, he wasn't even responsive hardly. And um, going, and I remember sitting, uh, sitting there and just knowing that he, he couldn't really respond very well. But, and I thought through, man, if you're laying there dying, I wonder if all these questions come to where you're, you're really thinking through like, Am I going to have a chance at going to heaven? <laughs> like, is what I believed, you know, is that real? And so I, I sat down and I just read some scripture. I said, I, I was like, hey, dad, I just want to sit down and just read some things to you and just let, letting that just like maybe fill his mind. And then when you hear that scream a couple of days later and you go in there and we were having to stretch out his body because of the way his legs were curled up and my sister was smart enough to know like, hey, this isn't good if, you know, his body starts to stiffen like we need to you know, stretch him out and everything and just going like, and as you stretch out your, your dad's passed away legs going, this isn't the end. Like that's painful, but this is the end. He, he's going to be up and walking again. And we're going to be standing side by side, not you know, like as a little boy and a dad one day, but as peers. And to, for me to step in and look and, and thank my dad without saying a word, because his gaze is not putting me as an idol. His gaze isn't making me the star. His gaze is focused on Jesus Christ at the center of worship in heaven. And to know, man, thank you. Man, failures, yeah. Lots of weaknesses, yeah. But man, that's what it's about. And he pointed me to Christ. And so that kind of hope, even in the worst day that you're having, there's hope. This is not going to be this way. And so, like I said, 400 years of silence for Israel after two or 3,000 years, um, 4,000 years, whatever you want on your time scale is on your uh, days of uh, the early beginnings to 400 years of silence, not hearing from God, and then Jeremiah steps in. And so um, the practical aspect of that, uh, you may have um, face, people facing old age, uh, disease, diminishing health. Hope says there is a resurrection. This is not the end. And so what a beautiful thing that God gives us. Uh, take away the resurrection. If you've ever thought through, if you take away certain things, like if you take away the thief on the cross, have you ever thought about that? It, it, take away the thief on the cross. There's a lot of family members who, man, they, they have a... Cousin, grandma, grandpa lived 90 years, you know, like defy God for 90 years, like angrily hate the church. And then two days before they die, they're like, man, I, I really see I need this salvation. They cry out to God. I had a friend for years and years and years. I would show the gospel almost every day with him. And he, got, he lived like 67, healthy guy, planning his future retirement. And then, hey, you got cancer. You got four months to live. And he, was just, he would just cry and weep about, what do you do when a doctor says, you got four months to live, man. Like the rest of your life, your, your wife, all your plans. And, 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 like, and, and, and about a two months time, he came to Christ. And then all he wanted to do was hear uh, audio recordings of the Bible playing. And so, so man, God's patience. I'm going to watch this guy 
ignore me, hate me, hate me, hate, defy me, defy me for 67 years. And then in two months, his last two months of life, he's going to enjoy me. And that's a gracious God. That's, that's like the thief on the cross. Like you didn't deserve it. Like he still showed that grace in the same way that, that he does with you take away the resurrection. Man, we have hope because of the resurrection. So we're in between this time of Jesus coming the first time. He lived his life, perfect righteousness. By the way, that, that's what we're going to live out in heaven for all eternity. We get to live perfectly because that's imputed to us. That's why we won't sin in heaven. That, that's going to be imputed like, like clothing. Like all this clothing fails up there, we get his new robes. And then we walk around like, hey, I'm not lusting. I'm not jealous. I'm not envying. I'm not complaining. I'm like, man, this is really, really great. Like that's life in Christ. That's how heaven's going to be. And the the, the way Eden was before. And so um, all of those things, if you take away the resurrection, man, it'd be kind of scary. Like I mean, just think too, like we don't know. We don't know what's going to happen. But that's a beautiful thing that God said, hey, here, I'm going to send my son, show you his life, then most importantly, show you his death on the cross that brings you back to me, that brings peace between me and you, the reconciliation to God, and now I'm going to um, restore mankind to myself, the ones who find their, their hope and salvation in Christ, and then he, he resurrects from the grave. This is the start. And we're in between that time, 2,000 years of in between that time, we're waiting for him to come back a second time. So... Beautiful pictures there. So we're going to be looking at Jeremiah 33. Um, and now I want to open up by just talking about Jeremiah. you got to understand Jeremiah. If you ever accidentally, just like, man, I just, I just need to start right, reading the Bible better. I need to get better. You open up to Jeremiah or like Leviticus, you're probably going to like go, go watch an AMC movie. Like it, it's tough because Jeremiah is known as the weeping prophet. And there's some stuff you might not know this about Ezekiel. I, I spent almost a year in Ezekiel one time. Ezekiel, you think I'm adamant in the way I move around the stage. Ezekiel's whole prophecy, he would tell things, and then sometimes God would tell him to be silent and almost like do like um, theater, like theater work with like with masks, no words, and acting out stuff. And the people were supposed to interpret. Like that'd be a fun service, wouldn't it? For 30 minutes, no words, and just acting out stuff. You know, and so people are trying to guess a uh, movie. Uh, what, uh, what is it? And so uh, that's what literally Ezekiel. And he did some crazy stuff, like on the ground and like picturing things being murdered and stuff, animals, and people just watched. And so God used that to like get people's attention. And so Jeremiah is a weeping prophet. He's known as the weeping prophet. Uh, mostly, loads of jokes like he was probably severely depressed, and he knew God put him in that state. Like he knew like, oh, oh, so this is me. This is what my life's going to be about. Okay. And just kind of like, oh, all right. And, and what, what do you want me to go tell people? Extremely bad news that you're going to discipline the nation of Israel repeatedly because we're, we've, we've turned against you. And so that was his deal. When we read this in Jeremiah 33, he actually is in prison. Um, he's in prison. Why is he in prison? Because he said, here's what God's going to do. And they, they didn't like the words. And so they said, hey, we're going to put you in jail because of this, because of his calling. And so in verse in chapter 27, we'll read a little bit of that. Um, he, he's talking about what God has done to Israel. And so the, the storyline so far is Israel's done this repeatedly where they've turned away from God. They've turned to idols. God comes in and rebukes them and says, I told you there would be blessings if you would live in obedience and worship me. But you keep running to these other gods, these false gods. You keep doing these things. And so you're, you're worshiping false idols. And so I'm coming and disciplining you. And what I'm using to discipline you as a spanking is this nation, Assyria. They're going to come in and they're not going to just like tear down some signs. They're wrecking the place. They're taking, taking away families, children, murdering, all kinds of horrible things. And the Syrians were one of the worst as far as their, 
their scope of like no understanding of wartime uh, civility with human beings. Like they, they torture was their idea. Some of the greatest tortures in the world, even to this day, Assyrians were into that. And so um, God used some of those horrible situations, evil people, to come in and to, to discipline them. And so Jeremiah is, is, is called to speak an unpopular message. Um, he calls out idolatry um, that the people of God had turned from God. So let's read in Jeremiah 33. We're going to go verses 1, and we're going to have the uh, scriptures up on the screen, but if you want to turn on your phone or in a Bible. So this is Jeremiah 33. Um, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah a second time while he was still shut up in the court of the guard. So remember, he's still he's in prison because of his words. Thus says the Lord who made the earth, the Lord who formed it to establish it. The Lord is his name. And God says, call to me and I will answer you. And I will tell you great and hidden things that you have not known. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the houses of this city and the houses of the kings of Judah that were torn down to make a defense against the siege mounds and against the sword. They are coming in to fight against the Chaldeans and to fill them with the dead bodies of men whom I shall strike down in my anger and my wrath. For I have hidden my face from this city because of all their evil. Behold, I will bring to it health and healing, and I will heal them and reveal to them abundance of prosperity and security. Do you see the hope that he's bringing? I will restore the fortunes of Judah and the fortunes of Israel and rebuild them as they first were. I will cleanse them from all the guilt of their sins against me. So now he's speaking not just about um, security on this earth. So you're seeing it's not just about worldly security, worldly prosperity. Now he's going, let's get to the core issue here, your salvation. I will cleanse them from all the guilt of their sin against me. I will forgive all the guilt of their sin and rebellion against me. And this city shall be to me a name of joy, a praise and a glory before all the nations of the earth who shall hear all of the good that I've done for them. They shall fear and tremble because of all the good and all the prosperity I provide for it. Thus says the Lord, in this place of which you say, it is a waste without man or beast, in the cities of Judah and the streets of Jerusalem that are desolate, without man or inhabitant or beast, there shall be heard again the voice of myrrh and the voice of gladness. Those were celebrative things that they did. The voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride. And we know that anytime the Bible's speaking of the bridegroom, that's talking about Christ. The voice of those who sing as they bring thank offerings to the house of the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord of hosts, for he for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever. For I will restore the fortunes of the land as at first, says the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, in this place that is waste, without man or beast, and in all of its cities, there shall again be habitations of shepherds resting their flocks. So that one verse 12 there just has a picture of a desolate world without hope a destructed world. And so that, that, that's a good picture of where we're living today in spiritual darkness um, uh, across the world. In the cities of the hill country, in the cities of the Sheptala, and in the cities of the Negev, in the, in the land of Benjamin, the places about Jerusalem, and in the cities of Judah, flocks shall again pass under the hands of the one who counts them, says the Lord. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel and the house of Judah. In those days and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch 
to spring up for David. And notice your Bible probably has that as a capital B. So that righteous branch is talking about like this little um, sprout that springs forth out of the ground being Christ, that he's going to be the, the new life that springs up. In those days, uh, and he will execute justice and righteousness in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. For thus says the Lord, David shall never lack a man to sit on his throne of the house of Israel. And the Levitical priests shall never lack a man in my presence to offer burnt offerings, to burn grain offerings, and to make sacrifices forever. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Would you allow your word to guide us in truth? Would you allow your spirit to use the word to guide our hearts, to see the bigger picture of your redemptive plan? Um, for those sitting here that, that need to hear the, the beautiful picture of what Christ has done in our lives, whether that's a person that's separated from you in their sin, and they need to see the beautiful picture of what Christ has accomplished, that he has come, that he has accomplished the work of salvation, that he is coming again. And for the believer, Father, the ones who are struggling with sin, struggling with um, temptation, struggling with um, hurts and wounds, and struggling with things that are just, just heavy in this world, that they would see Christ as the one that he has come, he has completed his work in our place, and that he is coming again. We can take hope in that. So I pray that you would uh, just bring us that hope in a powerful way. In your name we pray. Amen. So, um, that first idea there, I got some main points. The first four things there, the main points that we want to look at today is, first of all, why we need hope. Um, and that, that's due to sometimes missing hope. And then the second thing is um, misplaced hope. Sometimes we, we, we misplace what we're putting our hope in. And the third thing is leaky hope. And we're going to see that, that both misplaced hope and leaky hope tie together. And sometimes we don't realize that. And then we're going to see a restored biblical hope, hope from God. So on the first one there, uh, why we need hope. When we find ourselves at low points, at hurting points, or we find ourselves in feelings of disenchantment with the problems that we're facing, hurtful things that we go through, maybe uh, the brokenness of this world, um, it sometimes comes crashing down on us. We find ourselves in need of hope, and God uses those things to point us to him. Um, if you've ever found yourself on the path of disillusionment, you, you know how great the need for hope is. In Jeremiah's day, um, we have to understand that as he was talking to this people, Israel, and saying, these Assyrians have come and they've destroyed all this land, and all that, that happened was there was because of your sin. God was disciplining you because you had turned away from God, and now all this destruction has come because of your sin. But that's not the end. I, I want to restore hope. I want to restore. Now, when he's saying that, um, their mind was, oh, okay, okay, we'll turn back to you, God. Will you restore this city? Will you, you make you know, this, this area just look incredibly beautiful with, with prosperity and wealth and riches and power and, and restore Israel? And so we've been oppressed by the Assyrians now. They're oppressed by the uh, Babylonians. And then in Jesus' day, they're oppressed by the Romans. And so um, Israel just has that kind of theme. But, but the idea that they were thinking of was a worldly and immediate situation. So when Jeremiah spoke those things, they were thinking immediate. So we have to understand a little bit about the prophetic foreshortening. So this is what the Bible talks about in the Old Testament. It's prophetic foreshortening. What that means is when the prophet's speaking, um, I think I had three things there. The first one is that he has this idea of his redemptive purposes are a one act. And so that the prophet was speaking to the people, and they understood it as Messiah is going to come and restore this right now in our day. 
Well, in God's terms, from God's view, he was going, what I'm talking about is a future heaven also. And they had no idea uh, about, well, they were thinking Messiah is going to come and he's going to bring in you know, 100,000 horsemen and chariots and they're going to destroy the Assyrians, set up the old ways of Israel in David's throne when, when David and Solomon ruled and it was the powerful world of Israel. And God was going, uh, not quite, not, not quite going to get back to that now, but a future day, there is going to be a king like David that's going to sit on my throne eternally. And I am going to restore the new heavens and the new earth, but they only saw, they didn't see the second part. They only saw the first part. They were thinking just the immediate. So, um, God's first advent, he fulfilled God's work, Christ coming, Christ coming and it, but he didn't fully consummate that. It wasn't a completed, finished work. That's going to be on his second advent. So that's why we bring this out during the Christmas season. This is the already but not yet fully. So the, the difficulty here is that after you become a Christian, you go, a new identity in Christ, and then you're, doing, you're going to church, you're doing things, and then you still sin. You're like, man, what's going on? You're still tempted. You still have suffering. You still have situations. People still get cancer. People still get uh, uh, all kinds of disease. And you're wondering what's going on. It's because you have been in the kingdom of God. You've come into the kingdom of God if you're a believer, but you're still on this earth and you still have indwelling sin in your heart. And so that's the struggle. So it's already, already I'm part of the kingdom of God, but it doesn't mean it's going to be easy. Now, um, it, it's not yet fully to the way that God's talking about in, in, in the times of his eternal kingdom. So prophetic shortening, the second thing there is that when an Old Testament prophet gave a prophecy, some of the prophecies were twofold. It's a promise that's going to come true in the near future for just Israel, but it, there's, he also means, hey, the church age, which Israel was not thinking about. Remember, Israel thought just us Jews, just us Jews, we're the only ones who worship and serve God. God was going, oh no, my son's going to come, and it's going to be for all peoples, all tribes, all ethnicities, all languages, all different tribes worshiping God. And that's the true Israel, what we've learned is the church. That's going to be in the far future. So some things that God promises may be fulfilled partially in, in a year, three years, five years, 10 years, 300 years even for them. But then God was going, hey, in 2,000 years, there's going to be a future fulfillment of those things. So... In Jeremiah 31, 33, those first four verses there, God is reminding them of their need for hope. I've done this and I've allowed this so that you would experience this and see your need to repent and turn back to me and find hope. So you see that in those verses there. Uh, he says, thus the Lord who made the heaven and the earth. Notice what he, he does with his title there. Um, the Lord who formed it to establish it. So he's going, God owns this whole planet. God is the creator. The Lord is his name. And then he says, here's what God's saying to you. Call to me and I will answer you. And I will tell you great and hidden things that you have not even known. And that, in a world that's broken, if I was sitting in Ukraine right now, if I was sitting in uh, the area of uh, Israel, man, that would be a good word right now. That would be a good word to know that the powerful, sovereign God of the, the, the nations, the sovereign God and creator of all things is saying, Turn to me, and I will answer you. I'm going to show you beautiful things. And, and, and tomorrow may be still miserable. The next week, you may be still grieving this lost one, this loved one. But there's hope. There's something better. Um, people that are going through difficult times in our own country, the same things. Um, and all those things, God allows us to see our need for hope. For some people, um, that, that, that's, a, um, that's a marriage. Sometimes you, you, people get in a marriage, and like marriage is so painful and difficult. And you're always either moving towards greater intimacy 
in a marriage. And there's no neutral ground or you're moving towards greater isolation. It's always the case. You, you want, we, everyone thinks you just get married and it'll just take care of itself and everything goes easy. And they're like, man, it does not just take care of itself. Maybe we'll add kids to that and it'll just get easier. That's really brilliant, isn't it? God was like, hey, I'm going to use your spouse for some of the greatest sanctification work that I'm going to do. I'm going to use children as an added cherry on top of that for greater sanctification work. And so in that marriage for some people, that, that, that's what goes on. For some people, it's situations with children, a difficulty with children and some hurtful things. Um, some people, it's their health. It could be the physical health. It could be mental health. Um, it could be financial security, uh, uh, broken, hurtful relationships, um, aging loved ones. It could, for some people, it's the government. They're just always frustrated, ticked off with the government. Um, some people, it's the church. Many, many abuses and hurtful things have happened in the church. Um, sometimes it's the world and it's atrocities. So, so God's going, hey, look around. There's waste all over. There's wasteland. There's a spiritual wasteland all over. And, and God's going, but I'm the one who's going to bring hope to this. Now, um, God knows how to take us into the valley of darkness. And we want to resist it. We want to get out of it um, to take us through long pathways of tribulation and force and difficulty and pain and betrayal, instability, weakness, to help us see how great he is and to help us have a better understanding of what really matters the most. And when God does it, that, that's a gift that he gives us. Now, when he sends you down in this dark basement or this long, dark cave of a pathway, you don't notice that you're going into it. You're like, man, this is some bad, bad news or some bad stuff that happened. And then you can get into it for a while, and it can get so weary and in a state of depression. And then what, what starts to happen with our mind? Um, you, you look at people in the Bible, Job. So Job and Abraham, and I know Job's kind of far into the Bible. It's actually chronologically back when about Abraham's time. So Job and Abraham... They had some crazy stuff that went on that just, it wasn't working out. Like what we're asking from God, it's just not working out the way it happened. In fact, with Job, you know, God's like, um, you know, like, hey, hey, Satan, have you noticed how great Job is? Man, he loves me. And like God sets him up like, like all the people in the world. He's like, check out Job, Satan. I bet he'll still worship me, even though you're going to try to do it. And like, that's just crazy. Like, so do you ever feel like times like maybe God just kind of put me as Job right now. Like Satan's just attacking in all kinds of ways. And, and so Job, Abram, I mean, tons of Old Testament. Joseph, remember the stories of Joseph, all of his brothers and everything that happened? And what did he say? Hey, you meant this for evil, but God meant this for good. How many days have you sat in a jail cell for, for innocence? How many days have you been beat down in a jail cell? How many times have you been left for dead? Like Joseph still goes, hey, y'all meant all this for evil? God meant those beatings, the betrayal, the hurtful thing, my dad knowing and my mom knowing, thinking that was dead, um, all that I went through, Potiphar's wife, all these things, and I, I remained faithful, and God meant all of that for good. Man, that's a, that's a crazy thought. Solomon, Ezekiel, David, Jeremiah here, and all of those things, um, God allows us to see our need for hope. Um, the second thing that we see is sometimes we misplace hope. Um, we're going to go to this in a second, but uh, if we turn backwards right from Jeremiah 33, this is where we misplace hope. This is where Israel misplaced hope. So what we just read was God, hey, I'm going to restore some hope, but let's go backwards and why see the need of what happened in, in, in the verses right before that in, in chapter 32 and 26 and ch verses uh, 26 through 35. It says, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too hard for me? Man, stop right there. Let's get t-shirts, church t-shirt, website. Is anything too hard for me? 
We put it on a coffee mug, put it on little portraits and everything, put it on the website. And and he's going, no, no, no. I'm about to tell you how I'm going to come and destroy you. Is anything too hard for me? And so, like, we, again, we, we take stuff out of, out of context. We rip Scripture out of context. You don't want this part of, is anything too hard for me? Like, hey, I see what you're actually in love with. I'm going to break you of that. Is anything too hard for me? Oh, I, I didn't know we were going that direction. And that's Jeremiah's words. Like, that's what he gets to tell people. And so, in 32, he says, um, is anything too hard for me? Therefore, thus says the Lord, behold, I'm giving this city in the hands of the Chaldeans into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, and he shall capture it. The Chaldeans who are fighting against this city shall come and set this city on fire and burn it with the houses on whose roofs offer, offerings have been made to Baal. So that's a, that's a foreign God. And they would drink offerings that have been poured out to other gods to provoke, to provoke me to anger. For the children of Israel and the children of Judah have done nothing but evil in my sight from their youth. The children of Israel have done nothing but provoke me to anger by the works of their hands, declares the Lord. This city has aroused my anger and wrath from the day it was built to this day so that I will remove it from my sight because of all the evil of the children of Israel and the children of Judah that they did to provoke me to anger. Man, can you imagine that word? And, and so sometimes we uh, try to change things and go, oh, well, God would never allow those things anymore. Man, Israel's still sitting under some of these things. Like I said, there's, there's a present thing that he was doing with them, Assyrians and Babylonians. W- what's going on right now? Israel is a tiny, tiny place that we looked at last week, tiny place. No one has ever just been okay with them. Everyone around them has tried to destroy them. And this isn't a message about Israel. This is, this is a picture of God, God allowing them as they've been hardened against Messiah. So remember, all Jews that are not followers of Christ, they're still awaiting the Messiah. They saw Jesus come and said, no, that's not him. That's not him. We're awaiting the Messiah. That was a poor peasant guy. And he's going, no, no, I'm your salvation. I'm the Messiah. I did all these miracles stuff to prove that I'm the son of God. And they're like, that's blasphemy. They killed him for who he said he was, the Son of God, for equating himself to Yahweh, the God of the Old Testament. And so that's still going on today. So they misplaced hope. Um, What are some things that we misplace our hope in today? If you answer this question, life would finally be satisfying if I could just get fill in the blank. Life would finally be satisfying if I could just have it's a healthy exercise to think through that take take five minutes sometime sit in your car right before you get to work I'd truly be satisfied if fill in the blank really healthy to think through that Um, take some time think through it fill in the blank you may discover something that you have attached too much hope to in America guess what Trillions are spent from every ad telling you that slice of pizza is going to change your life. That car, oh my gosh. That financial security, oh my gosh. That, that house, that food, that body, that new person, everything marketed, 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 marketed. Um, everyone always was envious. Everyone was always jealous. Everyone was always um, uh, tempted to think of things that they uh, didn't have. 
Now we have literally, they've learned how to isolate and send like little electronic triggers to dopamine in our brains at the brainstem going, yes, you want it. Yes, you want it. Yes, you want it. Feel that feeling? Feel that feeling? Yes, yes. Yes. Feels, yes, 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 yes. And, and from hours down to minutes, down to seconds, to where your brain's not as satisfied if it's not looking at something that would be more satisfying. And, and so that's what kids are dealing with. Life would finally be satisfying if I had this. We may discover we've placed something at the center that was never going to be able to satisfy. It was never going to be able to hold all of the purpose. So this is what happens. It could be, it could be you thinking like, God, if I just, in your early 20s or something, you're like, if I ever just find this person, and some people, for whatever reason, that's, that's it for them. Just this, this person, and that's going to be all fulfilling. And they get it. They find this person like, oh gosh, what a letdown. Man, was I crazy? Because they seem crazy. Because, man, it's just problems and hurt. You know what? I'm going to have a little babies and my little snowflakes. That's going to be it. Oh, these little snowflakes are finally, that's going to be it. Life will be satisfied. And then problems, issues, like uh, the, the things that they go through. And like, man, this is just weight. This is difficult. This is complex. And, it, and they never leave. Like, they're just right there. It's difficult. Hey, I, you know what? That, that's not been it. I'm going to throw myself completely into my career. We just need to make more money and we can travel more and do all this stuff. We just, we just need to have more freedom. We just need to. And so what are you placing your hope in? Misplaced hope. And so when you do that, it's like this little cup that, that you're trying to pour all of meaning, all of life into. And, and God's going, hey, don't do that. Don't do that. Israel has repeatedly done that. Um, and we read those things and we go, man, I'm so glad that that was Old Testament Israel. Or were they not just idiots? We're so much smarter than them. How could they be so blind to worship idols? How could they be so blind to worship things without even realizing it? And yet, what do we do? Especially as Americans. Especially. Um, life would finally be satisfying if I could just have this. So misplaced hope leads to leaky hope. Um, so in Jeremiah, if you turn back to, so remember we're in the book of Jeremiah, if you go back to Jeremiah 2 at the very beginning, this is when Jeremiah first got his job assignment. And so in Jeremiah 2, it's the start of this. And so you see there in Jeremiah 2, um, I think it's starting in verse 2. Let's go to verse 4. No, no, I'm sorry. Yeah, verse 2. Jeremiah 2, verse 2. Go and proclaim in the hearing of Jerusalem. Thus says the Lord. I remember the devotion of your youth, your love as a bride, how you followed me in the wilderness. So God is talking to these people, Israel, the whole people, as if it was his girlfriend his, and eventually his bride. I remember how you followed me. Like this, this female that was attracted to me. How you followed me in the wilderness in a land not sown. Israel was holy to the Lord, the first fruits of his harvest, and all who ate of it incurred guilt. Disaster came upon them, declares the Lord. Hear the word of the Lord, O house of Jacob, and all the clans of the house of Israel. What wrong did your fathers find in me that they went far from me and they went after worthless and became worthless, worthlessness and became worthless? They did not say, where's the Lord who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, who led us in the wilderness, in a land of deserts and pits, in a land of drought and deep darkness, in a land that um, none passes through where no man dwells. And I brought you into a plentiful land to enjoy the fruits and its good things. 
But when you came in, you defiled my land and you made my heritage an abomination. The priests were not even asking, where is the Lord? Those who handle the law, the, meaning the priests and the, the, those, the prophets, they, they did not know me. The shepherds, they transgressed against me. The leaders, the prophets, they prophesied by Baal and went after things that do not profit. Therefore, I will contend with you, declares the Lord. So, man, hey, I did all this and rescued you out of slavery of Egypt. Remember Pharaoh and Egypt? Israel, remember the waters? I separated the waters. You walked through. I saved you. It crashed down on them, and you forgot me immediately and started worshiping other idols. And we go, man, Israel's so foolish the way that they, they, they misplace idols and they place their, their hope in these false idols. And then if you go on to verse 10 through 13, he says this, um, for the cross of the, for, for cross to the coast of Cyprus and sea, or send, I'm sorry, uh, yeah, or, or send to Kedar and examine the care with care. See if there has been such a thing as this. Has a nation changed its gods, even though there are no other gods? But my people have changed their glory for that which does not profit. Be appalled, O heavens. And so if you look at the, the, the Old Testament part of this, this is saying, hey, God is almost saying here, he's talking to Israel. You want to see something scary and appalling? Hey, let's back up, not just Israel. Angelic beings, invisible beings that we can't even see. Being huge, scary, almost like crazy looking creatures that are floating around in heaven in worship and stuff. All of you, look at this. Look at how glorious I am and look what they're doing. Be appalled at this. Be appalled. Oh, heavens, be shocked. Be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. The first one, they have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. And the second is they have hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that hold no water. So those, remember those big picture of those jugs that you would see in Bible times? You know, they had this big kind of long neck on it, and then it kind of had a big uh, bottom to it. Those things, those were cisterns, and they would hold water. And he, he, was, he was paying picture. He says, first of all, they just forsaken me. I did all this for them, provided salvation, provided them, and people provided this land, and that wasn't good enough. In the middle of all my blessing, they still went after idols, the first thing. They treated me as if I wasn't even a god and served fake gods. And then they took and they created with their own hands these other cisterns because I wasn't fulfilling enough. They didn't see me as the living water. Christianity in America right now, 50 million people, doesn't really matter. Doesn't matter. God's just not quite comparable with other things that I want to do. Here, I'm creating another cistern. And he says, and it can't even hold water. So we misplace our hope by placing all, pouring all of our hope into something that won't hold it. Man, that, that, that new whatever. Maybe it's the, the, the plan of, hey, I'm going to change it. I'm just going to be this way. And you start pursuing all these steps. And immediately, it just, it's not fulfilling. It's not fulfilling. It's not fulfilling. It's because it was never supposed to and be able to hold all the fulfillment, all the meaning that, that we think that we're going to have, all the hope. We've placed hope in something that can't hold it. It's leaky hope. So misplaced and wrongly placed hope always leads to leaky hope. How this works out in our lives is we, we start going, man, why did that not work out? 
And here's, this, here's what people begin to do. Why did God not let me have fill in the blank? When things don't go your way, or when things don't work out like you had hoped, we start wondering and asking questions. Is God really good if he didn't let me have what I was filling in the blank with? Is God really good if things aren't like I thought it was going to be with marriage, with parenting, with this job, with career, with our finances, with our health? Is God really good if he didn't let this work out? How could God really be for me if he doesn't even let me have fill in the blank? Everyone says God loves me, but if he did, why did he let this happen? You see, that's a hint that we've placed hope in something that's not him. Then we start compromising and indulging and searching doesn't feel like God is with me, so I might as well go and fill in the blank. Do you, do, does anyone really go, hey, I feel like I'm securely in God's arms, believing in God, trusting in God, trying to be obedient. In an hour, I want to be at the furthest reaches of the universe away from God, defiling him. Does anyone ever do that? Not at all. It's just little bitty incremental steps of questioning well, if God's not going to give me what I wanted, I might as well just go over and start doing this. And people find themselves so far and so separated and so broken and in places of sin and places so far away from God. And they, they really, how did I get here? I don't realize what happened. Um, so some, some scary things for them to think through. Um, be appalled. Look at these two evils. What do you do when you've carefully imagined and strategized and planned and saved and worked so hard for this beautiful fill-in-the-blank? This idea to bring to fruition that you, you know that you're pouring all of your energy and all your excitement, all your time, and all your resources into. What do you do when you've poured all of your life into things, cisterns, that you are placing your hope in? And it keeps leaking. And that's what happens when you start questioning is God really good? What can I change or adapt? What, what can I do? To, maybe I need to work harder. Maybe I need to, need to find another cistern. Maybe I need to, what else can I go after? I tried this and, and it, didn't, it didn't, didn't give me all the, the fulfilling and meaning, the meaningfulness that I was looking for. Life would be so good and so satisfying if I could just get whatever that is. But God restores that kind of hope in, in, in that last section there, in, in hope from God in 33, 6 through 9. And so just looking through that last part there of 33, he says, um, I will bring forth, and this is verse 6, Behold, I will bring it to health and healing. I will heal them and reveal to them abundance of prosperity and security. Remember how we talked about the foreshortening? What was Israel thinking? I want new buildings. I want new prosperity, new businesses, new economy, strong army. And God was going, I'm giving you a person. It's the son. It's a, it's a trinity. It's the second person of the trinity. When Jesus came, he was healing, working miracles, just like this verse says here. 
I will bring it to health and healing. I will heal them, reveal to them the abundance of prosperity and security. So we're in a town, Tulsa, that is really big about the prosperity gospel. So if you've heard about that, that's the idea that, you know, so in the name of Jesus, I can like say, our, our car's broken down, it's worth $400. In the name of Jesus right now, this preacher told me that I can claim that. I, I want that, you know, $95,000 uh, Mercedes Benz. In the name of Jesus, I've got that. And they'll tell you, now, if you don't get that tomorrow, like, you must be some sin in your life. You don't have enough faith. So you just got to do more, or especially pull out your pocketbook and give to the church. Give some more money, and God's going to guarantee it, right? So that's called the prosperity health wealth gospel. That is an overemphasized eschatology. That is saying the stuff that God promised in the future in heaven, more prosperity than you, you can imagine. I don't know if we'll have vehicles. I don't know how not. Maybe we just float. Maybe we just go, I want to go over there uh, to the store that I, I don't have to buy stuff with. And I just, whatever that calls, where you just pop up over there. Maybe you just fly as fast as you want to go, whatever it is. But you're, all those things are um, the prosperity, the healing, no more, no more bad disease, no more death, no more suffering, no more pain. That's in the future. But what we do in Tulsa sometimes is we go, oh, I think when the Bible's talking about that, it's talking about 2023. So I just claim that in the name of Jesus, and it has to happen. And then you're like, man, we're still broke. We still got a clunky car two years later. We still got a, a crappy house. We still, we still my, my mom's got cancer. I, I just had this other disease. Like, what's going on? Oh, it must be your sin, or you need to give more money to the church. That, 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 where they get that is, so they're getting Bible verses that talk about the future eschatology. Eschatology just means the study of future things or in things. And they're going, that's going to happen. God's going, that's going to happen. It just may not happen to you in this earth. Now, you may have a job where you still get all those things. So you, you're, you're making a ton of money and you go in the name of Jesus, I just claim this. Well, if you've got 400000 in your bank account or you can make you know, $1,500 payments on a car, then in the name of Jesus, that, no, that wasn't Jesus doing that. You used to have the money to do that, you know? And so that's an overemphasized eschatology. Remember the immediate teaching, it was applied to Israel, but then there's going to be a future thing. And so this is speaking of the one that would come. Jesus is going to bring healing and prosperity. What's he talking about? In heaven. Because we're in this kingdom where we're still, we're in his kingdom, but we're still on this earth where all this suffering goes on. And so he, he, he clarifies all these fortunes. I will cleanse them from all the guilt of their sin against me. Who was that? That was Christ. He come and did that work. And so now does your life just mean that there's, there's nothing, no problems after that? Not at all. So, but, but, but the greater thing than your problems is that you've got salvation in Christ now. Um, I will cleanse them from all the guilt of their sin against me. I will forgive all the guilt of their sin and rebellion. So all of that points us to that big picture that God was saying, hey, Israel, you need to repent from your sin, turn from your sin. I've got salvation coming, but it's in a person. And that person's going to come and he's going to die on the cross for your sins. And that's what you need to get a hold of. And they just, Israel couldn't understand that. So as we close um, the walkaways, um, he, he said there in the very last part, I'm going to fulfill the promise I made. I'm going to send this righteous branch, a spring up for David. If you remember, all of Israel was expecting one that was going to fulfill all of David's um, king, kingship. And that he would be one on the throne. God had promised there's going to be one on David's throne that will last forever. And then also there's this idea that these priests that do all these sacrifices, that there's going to be a priest that would always make these sacrifices. They didn't know it was just a one-time act. So Israel and, and, and the Jewish people, they don't still have to do all those sacrificial system things because Jesus came and died as the sacrifice that would last forever. So we've got a king on the throne forever, Jesus. And then we've got a priest, Jesus, who's continually making those sacrifices through his one-time offering. 
And so sojourners live in the tension with, within this life and our future hope. Um, we know that we must be faithful and a faithful gospel presence in a world needing hope. We understand that God allows events and circumstances to hit our lives so that we are halted in the midst of our idolatry sometimes, and we're halted in the midst of our apathy, and it reminds us that we've got to place our hope in Him. God does not leave us without hope. And so as we look at that, I hope that we can look at Christ as being that centerpiece of hope. Notice He doesn't punish you when you're in sorrow. When you're grieving, God doesn't come and punish you. He provides hope. Hope doesn't punish because of our fears. Hope doesn't wait till you straighten yourself up, till you earn it. Hope isn't waiting for you to have some sort of flimsy hyper-optimism that refuses to look at reality. Hope cares about you because hope is a person in Christ. Hope requires patience and perseverance and faith and trust and resting and then also worship. God uses present hardships to teach us about hope in him. So as we look at this, if you're a person here, the first thing I had up there are the walkaways. Um, are you in need of true hope today? Have you been plagued by anxieties and fears and depression and, and things that are hitting your life with all that is spread within our world today and it's just brought a, a gloominess? And so do you need hope today? Any chance that you've accidentally misplaced hope that you're, you're, you're pouring all of your life and soul and energy and passion into the, this cistern. And any chance that there's leaky hope going on, you just keep going from thing to thing to thing, that you've forsaken him, or you, you've tried to create this other cistern that would hold water, and you're trying to find meaning and purpose and, and your identity and things that, that's not able to hold it. It was never going to be able to hold all of your hope. And then... Are you a person who just needs true hope, biblical hope today, and that you need to, to have your hope in Christ? That if you're a person that's outside of Christ, or you've walked away from Christ a long time ago and walked away from God, you have been pursuing these other cisterns and these other things, and now you realize, I need to turn back to God, just like God is pleading with Israel here. You need that hope in Christ. So I want to pray, and then Brad's going to come up, and we're going to have our response songs and then we'll do the Lord's Supper after that. But if you need to turn to the Lord just to ask the Spirit to give you an understanding of where your heart's at, and then to, to look around and go, God, am I a person that's truly um, in need of hope this morning? Um, I, I, I invite you to consider that, the, the beauty of what He's offering.